Hello everyone, welcome to Octothorpe episode 1, a new podcast brought to you by boredom and self-isolation. I'm John Coxon, I'm a fan from the UK and I am joined by... Hi, I'm Alison Scott, I'm also a fan from the UK. Hello, I'm Liz, I'm also a fan from the UK but I currently live in Thailand. We decided to do a podcast about fandom from a British perspective and we're going to be talking about a few topics today in a kind of first episode stab at podcasting. On the morning we record, um, it's the day after the EasterCon cancelled. So EasterCon is the British National Science Fiction Convention and Concentric 2020 was to be held in Birmingham this year, but it has been cancelled as a result of COVID-19. Now, Alison was the fan guest of honour, and I think all three of us are keen EasterCon fans. How are you guys reacting to the cancellation? Well, I am, as they say, gutted. I was obviously hugely looking forward to EasterCon anyway, because it was the EasterCon, and it's my favourite convention of the whole year, but also because I was going to be fan guest, and I was very much looking forward to that. And I had a lot of ideas about fun things we could do. And so now I guess we're going to spend our spring doing fun things indoors instead. And I'm also, I think, worried because it makes me wonder, will we have an EasterCon next year? Will we have more conventions? Is this it for the practice of travelling around the world and meeting our friends? So I've been assuming it was going to be cancelled for at least two or three weeks. We were just waiting on the final you know, legal coverage so that it could be cancelled without the committee being at a huge uh, financial loss. I mean, I'm selfishly a little bit glad because I wasn't going to make it this year and I really wanted to go in the year that Alison was fan guest of honour because I think it would be hilarious and fun. May never happen again. I, I like hanging out with Alison because she's such a ray of sunshine. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that there will be future Easter cons, although, of course, I have... You know, something of a vested interest in global aviation still existing because I would at some point like to return to the UK and not live the rest of my life in Thailand. But that may be a deeper question than the cancellation of Easter comms, I feel. I think Alison's point about whether this will presage the changing of how we do travel and and socializing is a really interesting question and, and probably would take longer than we have on this podcast to properly answer but one of the things i have seen a lot on in my professional capacity as someone who goes to science conferences is people discussing whether or not conferences are still a viable thing to do but from my perspective conventions are so much about the social aspect that i i I kind of feel like after all this has gone away again, we're going to be even more keen to go and see our friends because we're going to have missed out on that for so long. So do you do you two think that this will be a portent of the end of conventions or, or do you think it's going to be a reason to continue conventioning with even more vim and vigour? I, I think I should clarify that when I said may never happen again, I was referring to my never being guest of honour again. Um, but I promise to do everything like being guest of honour, like staying up too late and drinking in the bar and meeting everyone at the EasterCon and all of that stuff anyway. Um, I'm sure we're going to have more conventions. 
I'm I'm certain of it. I think that everyone will be well ready for a convention once we're all vaccinated against this pandemic. And I'm sure there won't ever be another pandemic. Isn't that right, Liz? Oh, yeah, absolutely. This is this is the only one. This is never going to happen again. Viruses, you know, don't jump over from, you know, animals on a regular basis or anything like that. Um, is, this, is this the point where I, you know, inform our listeners that I work on tropical infectious diseases and so I might have a slightly skewed uh, view on global pandemics? Yeah, I think I think of the three of us, you are the one that is most similar to an expert. So that's probably relevant information. I think because we've been having conversations about EasterCon up to the cancellation, and I think most people assumed that it would eventually be cancelled once the government announced that mass gatherings and, and pubs and restaurants were no longer going to be allowed. It was just a question of when they would do that and, and therefore when the cancellation would come. I think to go back to your point earlier, Liz, I was also expecting this to happen. I'm very relieved that the government has come out and taken steps that allow pubs and restaurants and, and places like that to close because I think until a couple of days ago that was something that was very difficult for a small business like that to countenance. And obviously the Hilton being a small business, that's important. Yes, yes, all I- my sympathy definitely with the Hilton on this one. My sympathies rest with the committee and with the management of this hotel. It's clear that the hotel didn't feel they were in a position to cancel for some time. And I'm not privileged to any particular information here. The committee did say, please don't um, talk about what might happen as if you were a member of the committee. So I think we could talk about what might happen with absolutely no knowledge whatsoever and making it completely clear we have nothing to do with the committee. And I would like to see us spend part of our Easter weekend getting together, um, having some online discussion groups and um, Zoom chats and Zoom parties, which are just like room parties, except with social distancing. And with a pun. Can't be a good pun. I think I agree with you, Alison. I would like to see British fandom kind of rally around on Easter weekend and put some online stuff on, whether that's the convention committee or whether it's just a kind of a grassroots effort, I don't know. Because I, I haven't had a free Easter weekend since 2006 and I've forgotten how they work. They're boring. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm just, I, I'm not sure I'm going to appreciate a double bank holiday weekend in a time when I've not been allowed out of the house for three weeks. So... Do you think that will be something that gets organised as a grassroots thing? Or have you seen people start to talk about that? I've seen people on Twitter starting to discuss it, but nothing concrete yet. I think there's also a feeling that maybe we need to give the committee a few days to kind of process that, yes, the convention is actually cancelled. All their effort is not going to result in an event. And to decide whether they feel like they can redirect that into trying to do something online involving some of what they had plan for the actual event or whether they'd rather sort of hand it over to fandom and say sorry we cannot do anything in person this weekend but we give you our blessing to organize your own social gatherings online. I have one more thought about EasterCon which is that I'm very glad that in the great game of pass the parcel that is running the EasterCon the parcel didn't land when I was chair so I have nothing but sympathy for this committee and what they're having to put up with now and deal with. And I just, all my my heart goes out to them, really. I think that 
as a fandom, we need to give the Concom the space to do what they want to do. If they still see the Easter weekend as something they want to head up and organize even in an online capacity, then I'm thrilled and I'll be super um, behind them. But if they are super crushed by the fact that all this has happened and they just want to go and kind of have some time, then I think that's another thing we have to be super supportive of, like in either direction, because I can't imagine how stressful the last month must have been for that convention committee. It must have been awful. Alison, as a former EasterCon chair, can you give us a little bit of an idea of what the EasterCon committee is financially on the hook for every year and the sort of risks that you take when you do commit to running one? I I think that the primary problem here will be twofold. The first is that they will have given a commitment to the hotel that pending disasters, of which this is clearly one, they will have taken a number of rooms in the hotel, quite a large number of rooms. And then the second thing is that they will have guaranteed a food and drink spend to the hotel. So you say not only we will bring in so ever many people to your hotel this weekend, but also they will eat and drink a lot of food and drink. And that's how you get the rate on the conference space, is by promising to spend a very large amount of money on food and drink. Um, that will have been considerably more than the cost of hiring space. The government mandating that restaurants and bars close was the, I think, final straw. The impression I get from the convention announcement is that the hotel would have been unable to let people eat or drink in the hotel common areas. And so as soon as that happens, you have real trouble with your ability as a hotel to fulfill your contract um, from that kind of holding a big event perspective so i i think that's why the cancellation happened now because it was that that meant it became completely unworkable i can't remember what the typical food and drink spend for an eastercon is but i know i know it's usually five figures i I'd, i'd expect them to have a figure for a guarantee for food and drink in the high five figures which is a a mad amount of money so there's not... Have you seen how much beer costs? Um, yes. At five pounds a pint, it doesn't take a lot. That's true. That's true. When I was an undergraduate, I used to complain about that very vocally. Strangely, now I earn more money, I've complained less. There's no seated EasterCon for 2021. There's not an EasterCon constitution. If we've got any US listeners who are used to Robert's Rules of Order and, and Wusfus constitutions and all of these things... The EasterCon is an anarchic collective of like-minded fans who sort of run conventions by gentlemen's agreement as much as by anything else. And so there's not any provision in any written document for what happens now. So how do we select the next EasterCon and how does all that work? When you say that EasterCon is run by a collective of like-minded fans, if enough former chairs of EasterCon put their weight behind a proposal that comes forward, it will just be agreed by a claim. I, I just don't think there's a I think this is much more of a problem in the minds of rules nerds than it is in practice. I also don't think people are going to be lining up to run the EasterCon. You know, it, it would be a problem if you had a lot of contested bids. No, I think it's going to be very difficult for whoever does step up and decide they want to run one next year because they really won't be able to make any concrete plans for quite a while at this point. 
they can try and find a hotel, but they can't go and visit a hotel. They can't really make any commitments to guests or anything like that. I mean, I think you're probably looking at least the summer, if not early autumn, before we even know if we'll be able to go and have an EasterCon next year. So I think it's going to be a very difficult task. And frankly, if someone steps up to do it, then I will vote for them wholeheartedly. The most recent analogue is probably the 2007 EasterCon, which was held in Chester after the Liverpool EasterCon folded. Um, And that, I think, was a case where the convention was organised on about six months' notice, if I recall correctly. I think Convoy folded in the summer and the convention was in March 2007. And so it can be done. I don't know whether it will be the size of EasterCon you would expect, because obviously Chester was very small for an EasterCon. And it might be that if there's only a six-month lead-up, you do get a hit to attendance. But last time something even remotely similar to this happened, we still had an EasterCon, even if it was a much smaller one. So I'm hopeful that this is all resolved. And I think Alison's point is right, that this is much more a problem in the minds of rules nerds than it is in in real life because if enough people want there to be an EasterCon, there'll be an EasterCon regardless of any other considerations. I think that's true. I mean, I wonder how much of the 2020 EasterCon the committee might want to try and roll forward into 2021 because presumably there's been a lot of planning done already, a lot of organisation been done. It's possible that some of it can just be sort of jumped forward a year if they wanted to go again for next year, but I would also understand if they really want to take a break. I think my question would be that we compare this to 2007, but it's not really the same situation as 2007, I think, because, you know, it's a completely different background. Yeah. But question is, it seems like EasterCon has rolled along as a sort of very loose collective gentleman's agreement, different from year to year for a long time. And possibly, actually, it's a ticking time bomb we have been passing along for a while and happens to explode in 2020. Do you think this will lead to a long-term change in how we organise them? I think this is a great topic for another episode of Octothorpe. Tune in next time when we talk about Wither Eastercon. I think that is a long discussion and I think it's a good question and I think we will come back to it in future episodes. And we would love our listeners to write in with their thoughts. So on the subject of EasterCon being cancelled, on the topic of the fan funds, Michael Lowry, who is this year's TAF delegate, has cancelled his trip. Um, Fortunately, TAF, which is the transatlantic fan fund, has enough money in the bank that it can run another trip next year. And this uh, shouldn't be too much of a problem from the perspective of the fund. But obviously, the other fan funds, such as the Down Under fan fund and the Going Under fan fund, will be affected. and Projects like Conor Bust, which gets people of colour to conventions, may also be impacted. Do you two have any thoughts about how this is going to affect that kind of thing? Fair, full disclosure, I am one of this year's guff candidates. So I am um, running to be the fan who goes from Europe to New Zealand for the New Zealand Worldcon. I think at this point, the New Zealand Worldcon must be in doubt. July time, I don't see how it's going to happen, but it might do. And I'd particularly wanted to run this year because it's the first year after my youngest child turned 18. So I I can actually go off and party in New Zealand and Australia for weeks on end without having family responsibilities. 
but I'd be very happy to run for Guff at some future date. The the Guff has always found it harder to raise money than TAF has, just because the expense of a trip is very much greater, and the um, number of fans in Australia and New Zealand is slightly smaller. I think Guff this year, I, I think it's going to be cancelled because we won't be sure if there is a World Con in time for anyone to seriously plan. And also, I think the finances are so difficult, especially given that there are a lot of uh, teams wanting to run for Guff this year, that it might be reckless to make any kind of concrete reservations that can't be cancelled for full refunds, because you might just sort of take out all of the Guff reserves and then you won't be able to run again. I also think, speaking as someone, you know, in a country I live in, which I'm not a citizen of, and where it's obviously becoming increasingly difficult to leave, I think people might be quite reluctant to go to New Zealand or Australia this year because at any point we might have more lockdowns and you might find that you can travel there but find it very difficult to travel back again. So for this year, I think it's a non-starter. In the future, I'd like to see it continue. It's a huge shame that we're going to miss having a race when there is a World Con potentially in Australia and New Zealand, but hopefully it can continue in some form in future years. I do feel sorry for New Zealand 2020, because even if we completely eradicate the coronavirus before that convention goes ahead, I can't imagine this is going to do good things to their membership curve. And as the first World Con in New Zealand, I think that is a huge shame. And I think your point about Guff running to Australasia is is another facet to that being a huge shame. But I think hopefully we can keep the Fanish connections going online. So should we talk about Consolation? Are, are both of you on the Consolation Facebook group? So I am, but I'm not really reading it. That's fair. Because I have a look and... I don't know. I think I must have just been in completely the wrong frame of mind, but I didn't find it very funny. It started off quite funny because it was all full of con runners and con runners, the the group of people are on like journeymen of fandom, which is the primary Facebook con running group, have a certain mindset and they have a lot in common with each other, even if the sorts of conventions they're running are very different. But now Constellation has bloomed to about 20,000 people. And a lot of those people aren't, they don't share the same context and experiences as, as, say, EasterCon fans do. I mean, there's a reason why we're saying this is a podcast from a British fan, fanish point of view, that we know that the people that we are speaking to are going to have much of the same interests and influences as we do constellation is now beyond that point it's covering a lot of different fandoms not all of which are my fandom i still find it's got some quite funny things in it from time to time it's an incredibly difficult thing to balance when you get to twenty thousand people you can't all share a sensibility and in a venue like well in a real convention where you can have different programming streams and different rooms and different corners of the bar that works fine because not everyone has to share a sensibility but a facebook group with no separate channels and no kind of different corners can't replicate that 
Although I will say the last few posts on that group, from my perspective, have been from British com runners. So I have been appreciating those quite a lot. But I don't know. I don't know what the the main oeuvre is. I mean, it's at times like this I really miss Live Journal. I know Live Journal is still there, but in terms of its fanish presence, it hasn't been for years and years now. But the communities and the different people's blogs were a very good way of of emulating that kind of series of corners facebook just doesn't seem to do quite the same things i think that's going to be a problem for any attempts to kind of have fanish activity online while we can't have face-to-face conventions seems like facebook is not really the best space for it um just because you can't scale to that many people and also it's so hard to see what's new what you've read what you've already seen before, but someone's posted lol again, and so it's popped up to the back, you know, the top of your feed again. Um, I, th- I think it's, it was a, obviously a great thing to start at the time, but I think it's going to be a useful lesson in how we do and don't run these things over the next, you know, six to 12 months while we can't have face-to-face meetings of any kind. And, and I know a lot of Fanish activity happens over on Twitter as well. But I think Twitter falls into a lot of the same problems where if you if you follow mostly people in fandom, you can replicate that kind of vanish experience. But if you've got quite a varied Twitter timeline, it doesn't do a good job of clumping everything together into coherent structures, as it were. I also I really value longer form writing. And although you can do this on Facebook to some extent and you get quite good feedback. Don't get me wrong when you write in a longer form. Um, it's not the same as fanzines or even the the longer form writing on LiveJournal. And Twitter is really hopeless for this, even though there's this whole, I am now going to write a thread, one of 48. I think a lot of the efforts to do long form writing on Twitter are putting a plaster over some pretty big hurdles. I guess the sites like Tumblr are not widely adopted enough. Well, that's not true of of many fandoms, but certainly the kind of Easter congoing fandom has never coalesced around Tumblr in the same way it did around LiveJournal. And so I think I think you're right that the difficulty of doing long form discussions, especially on Twitter but on Facebook as well, is a real problem. And I am wondering whether this will encourage fandom to discover better venues for that kind of interaction than, than we currently have. But I don't, I don't know because I don't know what options there are and how easy those venues are to find. I would say that Tumblr also is quite difficult for this kind of interaction. Not because you can't post quite long posts, but the only way to really interact is to sort of repost it with your own comments on. And then the discussion just forks into a million different pathways and you can never follow them all. I think it's a good broadcast medium, but not a good conversational one. So I think that the choice is going to be, do we find a medium which is better suited to how we want to communicate? Or do we continue sort of bodging communication in the platforms that people are already on, even though it doesn't work that well? But I guess in the early days, Twitter didn't even have at replies and hashtags. People sort of came up with those on the fly and got them incorporated into the system so maybe someone will come up with a much better way of doing things on the platforms we already have. That is true. And I should say there are many people who do use Facebook and Twitter to engage in an awful lot of fan activity. And I suppose 
it's entirely possible we will get letters of comments from those people criticizing our take because i am aware that i'm on twitter but i'm nowhere near as engaged as as some of the people on my timeline are and the same with facebook i think you facebook a lot more than me alison especially in terms of long form writing i'm we're about to move on to how to keep sane during an apocalypse i think i may have noticed we were going to have an apocalypse slightly before average and i started doing a lot of things around self care i'm a very atheist person but i think spiritual self care is incredibly important for people which is hard if you believe that we're all basically animals who will go into the dust so i've been doing a lot of meditating and a lot of journaling um and a lot of that then becomes journaling on facebook because i write things that i can then share to a public audience or a near public audience yeah because you've been trying to whittle away all of your earthly possessions or at the very least carefully examining what earthly possessions you need yeah that, that's just gone so wrong i've just bought a pair of joy cons but that's that's staying sane in the apocalypse that's that seems entirely fair to me maybe this is why this does not work well for my personality type which is more things love things can I ask what Joy-Cons are? Because they sound quite like a sex toy. Switch controllers. They are a sex toy. They're the things that fit onto your Switch. Two days ago, Nintendo released Animal Crossing New Horizons, which is the video game for our time. You and your friends can build a lovely island paradise where you pick fruit, go for long walks, do not observe social distancing conventions. I started to play it using my son's Switch, and I was like, but this is hopeless. And he said, this is Joy-Con drift, which is a thing, apparently. And I was like, but these, your, your joysticks don't work. And he was like, no, I need new ones, but I can't afford £62.99. So. so to stay sane, you have bought Switch controllers, and Liz, you have purchased a PlayStation 4 and acquired a much larger television. Yes, I should say it was actually coincidental that my television, which is in my rented flat and so I don't own it, basically went tits up at the same time I bought a PlayStation and it got instantly replaced with one about twice the size. It was quite fortuitous, really. I think it's about 55 inches. Title of my sex tape, obviously. <laughs> Family show, Liz. Family show. And that is what us mathematicians call exponential growth. No, I think greatly enrich my life where I spend most of it you know sitting in between the same four walls because I don't know the fact that people are almost people sized on it seems to make a huge difference I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that but that is interesting if you buy a television large enough to have people sized people on it does that make you subconsciously feel less lonely I don't know when my daughter started at university we got into the habit of just leaving Skype video on for hours on end. And I thought about the future. This is back when I thought that the future would be good. And I assumed we'd all have essentially video walls and you just set up permanent video links to all of the people that you care about on your video wall. I should say we have been in lockdown for about 24 hours here. So I'm not quite as starved as human contact as I will be in 12 weeks time. That's fair. My work advised us to work from home from Monday just gone. So I'm at the end of my first week of lockdown. 
And I don't know I don't know how long you've been locked down for, Alison, at the moment. I've been working from home for about four years, but my family are also working from home and, and my house turns out to be quite small if everyone's trying to work from home in it at once. That's a real problem for us. So my, my week has been having much about having much more human contact than normal. We're still also walking out every day at the moment. We can go to parks, we can go anywhere, but that's I think isn't that by next Friday that'll have stopped, I'm sure. I stopped doing main social interaction from Wednesday last week because it was obvious that it was going to be necessary. Yeah, that's fair. This is very depressing, John. We need less depressing death stuff in our podcast and more jokes. That's fair. That works. Lots of people are putting entertainment online. Yes. Yes. So lots of games are free. The Metropolitan Opera and the Royal Opera House have an opera every night. You can go and stream. There's loads of television. I'm already in television bankruptcy. So Disney Plus launches in two days' time. In, in the UK. It does not launch in two days' time for the Asia region. I'm very grumpy about that. How long do you have to wait? They ha- we don't have a firm date. I think they said spring 2021, or maybe it was pulled forward to autumn 2020. Maybe they will pull it forward now all the theme parks are closed and no one's going to the cinema because that will get them more cash. But it, we'll have to wait and see. All of the streaming services are reducing bandwidth. So they're reducing quality on the service which seems fine to me. Because you're about to have a huge uptick in the amount of streaming, so that, I think, makes a lot of sense. I'm also a child of the video age. I remember VHS. I remember long play recording on VHS. I remember long play recording on VHS, Alison. It's not that ancient. Yeah, so the quality was not that good, but we coped, right? We did cope, but I also remember... uh, BitTorrenting TV in the smallest possible files. Actually, not BitTorrent, probably before BitTorrent. Downloading TV in the smallest possible files so that I can get away with them on my band. And, you know, we just live with it. Okay, boomers. (laughs) These people today. Uh, Obviously, I... I have never BitTorrented or, or downloaded anything. I have no idea at all what you're talking about, obviously. This is a golden opportunity to catch up with all of the TV shows that I have been letting lacking. I am I am approaching the season three finale of Buffy, which gives you an idea of how uh, how behind I am. And I've also been playing a lot of board games. A bunch of print and play board games have been made available for free online. And I contributed to a GoFundMe for a gaming podcast i listen to who has some contributors who are struggling to stay afloat at the moment and they've been giving free games to people who donate and so i put a couple of links in the show notes to a couple of free games i've been thoroughly enjoying over the last few days and i also spent most of this weekend playing the dlc for horizon zero dawn on on ps4 which i had not yet got round to and i am Thoroughly enjoying. Have you have you started playing your PlayStation yet, Liz? I have. It came with uh, a free copy of The Last of Us, which obviously is a near future dystopia um, after a pandemic has taken hold. And then, as a change from that, I got a game with no shooting involved. So I bought Everybody's Gone to the Rapture, 
which is a game about wandering around a Shropshire village in the 1980s after everyone has been raptured in some way after that and they've closed all the roads because they're saying it was a flu pandemic so I picked really the worst possible games to start my PS4 gaming experience with I've got to try something more jolly for next week so obviously reading's also an option and I'm currently reading the Journal of the Plague Year by Daniel Defoe which turns out to be very it has a lot of messages for our times is everyone buying toilet paper in Thailand this so not so far I mean there were stacks and stacks of it when I went to the shops today but also my supermarket has not been hit by shortages really the the buying has just started because they've closed all the restaurants out of this weekend but also I've got a bidet sprayer and every toilet in Thailand has a bidet sprayer are you, are you aware of these do you want to describe them for the listeners who aren't? So the best description I've heard of these is that your toilet pees back. <laughs> so it's, it's not a bidet seat, but basically it's just like a sort of shower spray gun on a hose with the idea being that you can like wash things up a bit and then usually like wipe and so on. But in an emergency, you'd probably be okay. So that may be behind the lack of panic buying of Lural so far. I'll keep you updated on the Lural status as we go along. Thank you very much. So on the subject of books, I am reading um, The Laundry Files by Charlie Stross. I, I'm reading the most recent, I think, which takes place in a UK after the government has been supplanted by a literal a, elder one. Um, so it's not quite... Uh, as relevant as the reading material you two are reading, but um, it's still not a barrel of laughs. Um, I'm also not sure whether I'm going to be able to return it to the library anytime soon, because it is now overdue. My library has automatically extended return dates till the end of April, so you should check. Oh, that's really good. From the library, I have the audiobook of Hilary Mantel's The Mirror and the Light, all 78 hours of it. So that's keeping me busy. And also from the library, I have Europe in Autumn by Dave Hutchison, which apparently there was a pandemic in that one as well. Um, but people have been recommending the Europe books to me for years. So I'm quite pleased to finally be getting to read them. I have bought a book on the great flu pandemic of 1918, but I have not brought myself to start that one yet. And maybe I shouldn't while I am, you know, home alone. I might stick to more cheery reading. Uh, instead, I'm reading Barefaced Messiah, which is the... Uh, biography of L. Ron Hubbard. Oh, okay. Which I believe got its author followed about by Scientology for many, many years. I have no opinions on Scientology while I'm on this podcast. Uh, I also have no opinions on Scientology and no opinions on obviously bit torrenting. I just have strong feelings on uh, B-Day sprayers. <laughs> <laughs> I have just checked and my library has extended my book reservation. I can exclusively reveal I am reading The Labyrinth Index. And yes, I have until the 17th of June to read it now. So they've extended that by three months. Hopefully that is pessimistic, but we shall see. I am very lucky my local library does a very good genre selection. I was able to borrow some of the Hugo finalists last year. So just before we wrap up, what would you say your one top tip for surviving the apocalypse is i don't know yet honestly i think i need more time in isolation to develop those habits i have started doing online 
YouTube workouts in which a cheery guy tells me, you know, to push it to the max and we're going to push through this. And it's every every workout is a step towards your goal. And it turns out I quite like that at this point in time. Yeah, I mean, I, at the moment, my my life is very much I, I think if you do live with other people, make spending time working out how you're going to share your space differently, I think is going to be very key to staying sane and, and has been a very big part of our week. Yeah. Uh, while I can, I'm getting out every day because I'm fairly sure I will not be able to get out every day in another week or so. I'm thinking of taking up gardening. How can what sort of world are we in where things like walks and gardening and jigsaws seem like sensible uses of anyone's time? Uh, my wife has, in fact, mostly been gardening and doing jigsaw puzzles, um, both of which are activities she loves. So she has been very happy. I do think the siloing of personal space and being very strict about that has helped me in Espana a lot over the last week. So that brings us to the end of the first episode of the Octothor podcast. Thank you very much for listening to episode one. I think the lifeblood of a podcast is the interaction with our listeners. And obviously, we don't actually have any listeners. So if you're listening to this, we really want you to know what you think of the podcast and what we should be doing better and what you think about the topics we've covered and what topics we ought to be covering next time. And, you know, get in at the ground floor before we become a big deal and we won't, won't pay any attention to your feedback. Obviously, now is the best time to send us a letter. No, cut that. That's, that's a lie. <laughs> Oh, and if you're interested in sponsoring the podcast, <laughs> we have sponsorship slots, right? Oh, wow. Okay. Um, yeah, so uh, we're super keen to hear what people think, what people think we could do better, what people think about the topics we've covered, what people think we're doing well. Uh, so please send us letters and clips of comment. That brings us to the end of episode one of the Octthorpe podcast. I'd like to thank my co-hosts, Liz Batty and Alison Scott, for joining me. If you'd like to send letters or clips of comment to us, please email octthorpecast at gmail.com. If you'd like to tweet about us or use other social media, then hashtag octthorpecast. And we will see you in episode two. So for now, it's bye from me. And it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it.